Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. Today's guest is with Leah Hazard. She is an author and an NHS midwife. We recorded this episode on a sunny day in Edinburgh. I was up there watching some shows for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and I thought I'd get some podcast episodes in while I was there with some interesting people in the area. Thank you so much to the Market Street Hotel. It's a brand new design hotel near Edinburgh Station and they kindly lent me a suite to record this episode in. So massive thank you to them because it would have been incredibly noisy recording this one outside in the hustle and bustle of Edinburgh during the fringe. So this episode I really wanted to do because I feel like I talk quite a lot about burnout as a topic but there seems to be quite a focus on freelancing or startup culture or millennials and I really wanted to talk to someone in the NHS about burnout. Burnout in the NHS is a really important issue at the moment and I think it isn't really discussed in the mainstream media as much as it should be. So Leah studied at Harvard University. She then went into a career in television, really successful career in that area, but she decided to pivot into a new career and pursue her lifelong interest in women's health after the birth of her first daughter. So she soon began working as a doula, supporting women in pregnancy and attending numerous births in homes and hospitals. And the birth of Leah's second daughter prompted her to make the leap into midwifery. Since qualifying, she's worked in so many different clinical areas within the NHS, including antenatal clinics, the triage units and labour wards. So it led me to read her book, Hard Pushed, which is now a Sunday Times bestseller published by Penguin. And it paints such a realistic behind the curtain picture of what it's like to work in these labour wards. And it was a real education on the many different roles that midwives take on. And she explains why so often the midwives that we see on TV or as part of TV shows or popular culture, they sometimes create a simplistic or unhelpful impression of what actually goes on. So it was really interesting talking to Leah. In this episode, we talk mainly about the book, about burnout and about the NHS. And I found it really, really interesting. So please rate and review this episode if you enjoyed it. And thank you again for listening. See you next week. I just wanted to congratulate you on your amazing book. I found out so much more about you, but I also just found out so much more about what goes on as a midwife. And I hadn't actually asked you this before meeting you, but I know that um, we're going to talk about a lot of the topics in the book, but how did the book actually come about? Well, thanks, first of all, for your kind words about the book. Um, I think it kind of came about because ever since I first started my training, I thought, wow, this is stranger than fiction. I mean, you just couldn't make this stuff up. My first degree before I trained in midwifery was in English literature and language and I'd always really enjoyed writing and I think having an interest in writing and storytelling it became really evident as soon as I was out in clinical practice that the things that happen every day in midwifery are tragic, comedic, heroic, bizarre and you literally couldn't make up anything more interesting so I I kind of thought well maybe when I retire or I'm at the end of my career it'd be great to write some stories about my work kind of looking back retrospectively and reflecting on things because because so many medical memoirs are written by authors who are at the ends of their career, quite eminent, kind of reflecting on their achievements. But I think I was always quite scared of telling my story, partly maybe from a lack of self-confidence of 
feeling like it even mattered but also because I think there's a bit of a culture of fear and silence actually in midwifery which comes Mm. as a bit of a surprise to people because they think it's all kind of jolly and smiley and cuddly but we do have our issues and one of those is I think just a reluctance to speak up about what the reality of our job really is nowadays so I actually kind of came to a point in my work at the start of just last year where I'd been moved to a clinical area I wasn't really enjoying I was feeling quite burnt out which we well discuss and I just thought well what have I got to lose really it can't get any worse and I thought nobody really understands what it is we're doing all day because we have things like call the midwife and one born every minute which in their own ways are you know important and valid images of midwifery but neither of them really reflect to me what I've been up to all day or all night so I thought well it's time to tell that story definitely and um yeah I want to talk to you about that in detail actually just like I learned a lot and it's like that kind of preconception of what I thought a midwife was and what they did and also I thought that there were like a lot of midwives around dealing with a certain issue and then realizing that in the book you talk about being like the only person in the room to do a lot of different jobs but before that I just wanted to ask you quickly about your own pivot into midwifery because in your bio it says that you were actually working in a different career and then when you had your daughter you basically had a fascination with it I just wondered if you could talk about that a bit yeah I mean I guess I kind of did that millennial pivot that everybody is talking about back when I was closer to your age I'm 41 now I mean you literally look younger than me I'm (laughs) I want to look like you in 10 years please thank you very kind (laughs) it's obviously the love of my job that keeps me young no what happened was I was originally working in telly actually I was a researcher for arts and factual programming for BBC Scotland and we were doing all kinds of sort of weird and wonderful quirky human interest shows like modern witches in Scotland and single life in Scotland and all these kinds of things and just developing story ideas like that and when I had my first daughter who's now 16 I had a really difficult birth not that any birth is really 100% easy but it really floored me it was um, I was completely unprepared for it and so many women that I met around about that time who had babies felt similarly felt like the system just hit them like a truck and they had a really difficult time coming back from that and kind of thinking about their identity who am I now how has that changed me why did that happen like that so I did go back to work I went back part-time and my daughter started at nursery where she wasn't really settling particularly well and I was kind of spending all day at a desk cranking out light entertainment ideas and I thought you know this is not where my priorities lie anymore and if I'm going to be away from my child for you know at least eight hours a day I want it to be something that's worthwhile Mm. it was kind of a perfect storm for a pivot really I guess because I was just solution with where I was and my priorities had just completely shifted and I was kind of fascinated by this experience I had just been through and why it seemed to have been such a difficult experience for so many women so that Mm. kind of started everything I guess yeah that's it really comes through in the book this empathy and like emotional intelligence with your patients like it feels like you're always thinking like five steps ahead you know when they come in you're immediately thinking okay I need to deal with this but then I just really felt you were like right then this is going to happen then this is going to happen and then afterwards she's going to be feeling like this and it just it made me feel just so grateful for people like you who do that job because you just you really get it it's not just that you turn up and go home well we try I mean definitely a point I make in the book as well is that we don't always get it right and when you work in such a busy department so I work in um, a triage department in a really busy big city hospital so it's like A&E and when you have such a constant influx of women who need your help you're really trying to hone your skills and emotional intelligence and like if you 
come in the door and let's say you present with some bleeding or something for example then yes your clinical need is that you're bleeding but as a midwife you're also always trying to think okay but what does Emma actually need you know what kind of person is she what fears does she have is she up for a bit of kind of a rapport and a bit of banter or is she terrified or does she have a bit of a wall up and how can I get around that and that really is the the art and craft of midwifery and the joy of midwifery I think when you get a chance that you can try and make that connection with women but because of workload and because of the intensity and the sort of relentlessness of the job you don't always do that successfully yeah it was just so interesting reading your book and learning about how I mean this sounds obvious but how every birth is totally different and I guess naively you know I haven't gone through that you kind of think oh it's just like a step-by-step thing but so many different things happen in one day I'm sorry if you've been asked this loads of times but like you know the book is quite sad in places how do you deal with those bad days when you get home It's a good question. I think every midwife has her own way of dealing with the difficult times and loss. And I write in the book about the fact that miscarriage and stillbirth and loss are actually a really sadly common part of midwifery. I think we're getting better at talking about it, but Um, as many I think the statistic is something like as many as one in three or one in four pregnancies ends in a loss Mm -hmm. whether it's early or late and in a busy unit it's something we see quite often and sometimes it's difficult to kind of I don't want to say shake that off you can't shake it off you always carry it with you but we all have different ways of being resilient for mine sometimes I just go home and I you know I squeeze my kids extra hard and maybe usually the next day or a few days after I might talk to my husband about it and say you know that was really crap what happened I'm still quite upset and I'll probably when I get back to work kind of look up and see how that woman got on and what actually happened but we carry all those things with us and I think that everybody has their own coping mechanisms so for me Mm. part of it is my family part of it is writing now which I'm lucky enough to do part of it is running or moving very slowly (laughs) and what could be called a run Uh, trying to get outside doing other things some people drink you know we've all got our ways healthy or unhealthy of dealing with these things yeah and the way that you don't judge people that feels like a big part of working in the NHS because I feel like in everyday life we do make judgments it's kind of normal yeah I mean I make the point in the book that midwives definitely do have their own biases and personal judgments and we're we're certainly not all angels who are sort of beneficent welcoming of all comers kind of thing but the knack of being a midwife or a nurse or anybody who deals with the public in the NHS is to be able to check that bias at the door I mean you can have a chat in the tea room about what you really think about that woman's choices and people will do that and that's fine but when that woman comes to you she's coming to you because she needs you and it's completely irrelevant what you think of her lifestyle or her choices or whether you think she should be having her eighth baby or be using this drug or living in this place or you know it's it's entirely irrelevant so what you have to do in that minute is keep that woman safe and and keep her baby safe if that's the case so yeah we become experts at kind of checking it and compartmentalizing it and the judgment if there is judgment can wait yes totally let's talk about burnout because I feel like this is going to be the theme of this podcast this episode because I think we kind of got in touch or crossed paths because I think I shared an article from the times that was about like millennial burnout and it was a picture of two like beautiful looking young girls with glossy hair like on a sofa with their laptop and I talk about burnout a lot in the context of being a freelance media person in London so I am also guilty of this but it really for some reason I woke up that day being like I don't know if we should be talking about burnout in this context 
alone anymore. Think of the mental health of firefighters or the NHS or policemen who see things, they do really awful things on a daily basis. I just thought the focus needs to change a bit because I circled a bit in the book and I think it said something like it's 4am um, I've just seen you know x amount of patient that day and I've been here for 24 hours I was shocked I shouldn't be but I was reading your book of how long it is yeah it definitely is a challenging job and you know it, I don't want to trivialize anybody's stress at all and everybody's stress levels and tolerance levels are relative however I am really glad that you've brought the conversation around to the NHS because I kind of feel like in the NHS we invented burnout I mean we've been at it for a long time and we're all about working to and beyond our limitations. The NHS, especially now, is so under-resourced, understaffed, underfunded, that it really runs on the good graces and the goodwill of the people who work for it. I mean, it's only because everybody is willing to go the extra mile and Mm -hmm. essentially burn themselves out that the system can continue. And I've definitely seen that in, in my own life and in my career, which I write about in the book. I'm only six years qualified and by no means the most senior or advanced midwife but I work hard I work 12-hour shifts days and nights I work in a busy unit and there definitely have been times when I've thought I do not know if I can come back tomorrow and do this again and I think that's quite a common story within the NHS I don't think that we tend to sort of go along just fine for years and then we have one big burnout where we go out in a big blaze of glory and like that's it I'm never coming back I think that for so many healthcare workers and probably also other people on the front line like police officers and firefighters and so on it's not one big burnout it's many small fires over the course of our career that we're constantly trying to kind of come back from so that's what I talk about in the book, that relentless process of trying to sort of rejuvenate yourself and reinvigorate yourself. I'm still in that cycle. I mean, I had a shift, I think about a month ago, where I genuinely thought as I drove home, I am handing in my notice tomorrow. I cannot do this to myself anymore. And then I had a nicer shift and, you know, and then you think, oh, it's not that bad. I'll come back. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a bit in your book where you say the amount of resignation letters you've written in your head. It's like kind of constantly thinking about it, but then you don't. But I wondered with that, with a lot of people like working in the city, there seems to be a lot of people who are being signed off for stress at the moment. So their boss will say, have a month, come back when you're ready. I'm not saying those jobs aren't stressful. They can be really stressful in many ways. How does it work when you do reach that breaking point? Does anyone say, here's a few days off? Or can that not even happen? Well, I've never heard of a manager saying to a midwife, you seem really stressed, have a few days off. I've never I've never really heard it sort of served on a plate in that way. What tends to happen, in my experience at least, and I cannot speak for everyone, is that the midwife in question has a crisis, whether it's precipitated by a single event or cumulative events, signs herself off initially for a week, which is just that's the HR policy, that's what you can do. And then if that midwife needs more time, she goes to her GP and, you know, would get signed off for whatever length of time is appropriate. And that's when occupational health gets involved and you get kind of put on the radar as somebody mm-hmm. who needs help and support. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you get the health and support you need and whether you are treated sympathetically by your manager is a whole other story. And I think also when we go off with stress, there's a huge layer of guilt around that as well because I know if I don't turn up tomorrow and I am on tomorrow for a day shift then I know that the other two midwives who are on that shift who are expecting me will have to do extra work 
and that adds to their stress and I know what that's like because I'm in that position all the time as well so yeah it's very difficult you don't want to let your colleagues down you don't want to let the women down as well because you know there is this constant stream of women who need looked after so it's it's a really difficult one taking yourself away and on the flip side when we as humans just do something really difficult and hard there tends to be a bit of a high afterwards doesn't there with just like I did that and no matter how awful it was at the time whether it's like a run or a marathon or an exam or I don't know giving birth even there must be this feeling like I did this and I wonder if is that the sort of thing that maybe keeps you going yeah definitely I mean I think yes there's the sort of adrenaline rush that comes from the big peak moments like I mean I kind of joke and say like I love a good 5am emergency because <laughs> when you're coming to the end of your night shift and somebody who comes in who's acutely unwell and this is the key point you solve the problem and work as a team and you know start treating them to get them better yeah that's a huge sense of achievement and that's the, that's a privilege and nothing can take away from that but there are also there's the kind of subtle high that comes from the smaller moments of connection you know like if somebody phones in with a problem and I have a four minute conversation on the phone and they say at the end oh I feel so much better thank you that's really put my mind at ease that's a high that can keep you going for the rest of your day even though physically you know there's no tangible evidence that you've done something there that can make you feel like ah oh, you know I can still do it I can still make that connection so yeah that these are the kind of moments that do keep us going yeah and because with some of the final chapters of the book it sounds like as well you're really speaking on behalf of the industry not just like you it's more like I'm speaking on behalf of midwives who feel kind of silenced or like you were saying the stereotype of like being jolly all the time how have like your other friends who are midwives kind of responded to the book are they just really glad that you're talking up about this yeah I mean it's been great since the book has come out I've had loads of messages from midwives I don't even know all up and down the UK saying this is me I feel like this nobody's ever put this into words before and um, Mm. thanking me which is really humbling and amazing in the place where I work I'm really lucky that the specific team I work with are really Really supportive and have been so warm and excited and happy that somebody is trying to show the world what it is that we actually do all day. One of the reasons why I was so scared about writing the book and still feel terrified at times is because midwifery also can be quite a macho profession, which I know sounds a bit weird. Maybe it's a sort of regional thing where I work, but it's a very much sort of like you have to be tough, you have to have this hard exterior you know who do you think you are for talking about our work and putting yourself out there kind of thing and I'm not gonna lie there has been an element of that I'm sure I know in my workplace which I expected but I'm happy to say that overall that on balance the response seems to have been really really Mm -hmm. positive and people have been really receptive which is lovely so it's almost like some people don't want you to show the vulnerabilities of it there there's that but there's also a bit of a tall poppy syndrome I think you know who are you you're trying to you know portray yourself as the world's best midwife which I explicitly try and say in the book I am not but it's not that I've written the book to try and present myself as an expert or you know with the most experienced but what I've really tried to do and taken pains to do is to shine a light on the aspects of midwifery that the world maybe doesn't know so much about and that's not just to have a moan about the fact that it's really hard and we're all really tired but also the fact that it's really complex and challenging role it's high highly highly skilled we have to be able to do minor surgery we have to be able to do really advanced life support and resuscitation we prescribe we work with other agencies 
because we work with social work and psychiatry and the legal system mm. and housing and I just think what I'm trying to do if anything is to elevate our profession and to raise our profile so I hope that even if there are detractors who don't really understand why I've written the book I hope that they could understand that really I'm, I'm trying to sort of raise us all up not just myself individually totally and you're right I mean it's not that I thought it was called the midwife but there is this sort of just quite a dreamy idea of just midwives kind of just babies are popping out and you're like catching them (laughs) and in the first chapter it's quite you know not gory well I suppose it is a little bit gory but it's it's, graphic yeah 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 graphic graphic it made me kind of cross my legs a bit I didn't know that I didn't know the amount of actual like medical surgeries you're doing on a daily basis it's um so yeah so many things wrapped up into one yeah which is why I love it as well particularly I enjoy working in triage or maternity assessment as it's called because you never know what's coming in the door a lot of it is some of it is lovely and normal and you know wonderful as it should be and some of it is really high risk and really really medically complicated Mm -hmm. so you're always problem solving you're always pivoting in more ways than one on a on a minutely basis and that variety is really fascinating yeah it must have been interesting writing the book because not many people I think sit down and write a book of like all of all of their experiences how did you feel kind of writing it all down it was on the whole I mean I don't want to say enjoyable or therapeutic but it was on some level satisfying I guess because I have all these really vivid memories and thoughts and emotions about my work and my profession that weren't being represented and it it felt really good to put that out there it was hard at times Mm. as well predominantly because I wanted to be sure I was being sensitive to the women I was writing about so obviously there's issues around confidentiality that I had to be really careful of so Um, at the beginning of the book it says it says kind of this is true but it's not based on one patient at a time did you have to kind of merge stories yeah absolutely so every because I'm still a registered midwife I'm bound by our profession's code of conduct and a big part of that is around privacy and confidentiality so every story in the book is really a composite of things that did happen but not exactly to any one particular person so I wanted to be really sensitive to the stories and to show respect and honor for the women that I'm writing about that was difficult and on a more personal level it was difficult to write about myself being really vulnerable at times the real low points that I have had at times at work and at first when I started writing the book I thought I'm just going to write about stories about women I've looked after nobody wants to know about me it's not interesting it's a bit too personal I'm quite shy so I'll just leave that out and the more I wrote the more I thought well actually does my colleagues a disservice if I don't write about all the light and shade of the job that is part of the emotional labor of what we do of you know it's coping with the stress and the the busyness and the burnout at times as well as the joy and the fulfillment so it was quite difficult to Mm. verbalize and articulate emotions that I had kind of buried and not Mm. been very proud of that was quite hard yeah I've got I bet and I suppose that it is like a therapy of writing isn't it that you don't sometimes you don't realize what you think until you start writing it down but did you start writing the book or did someone come to you and say like we're looking for a midwife story how did it yeah I what wish. way around um, see, I didn't even know until recently that that was even a thing because <laughs> it feels like there's this kind of crazy trend of memoir like the um there's like the secret lawyer there's yeah. like the junior doctor stories but this feels like really totally set apart from all of that but because I know that in in the book 
I found it really touching the relationship with your dad and like when he got ill and then you sort of felt this urge to write and I feel like Mm -hmm. that's such a relatable thing where sometimes you just have to write don't you? Yeah I think it was inevitable it was coming one way or the other and I'm a huge fan of medical memoirs and I had kind of noticed that yes there were there there was a bit of a surge in that genre and I thought well there's nothing really by a midwife there have been other books in the past by midwives that I highly recommend but there's nothing really contemporary and fresh I felt that represented my experience and yeah as you say I was talking to my dad one day when I visited him in the states when he was unwell and he's kind of grumpy old man who's not really generally interested in kind of ladies things and he was fascinated he was like I didn't realize this is actually what you did all day this is amazing you have to write this down that motivation combined with my own frustrations at work and also an awareness of the popularity of the genre all these things kind of came together and I thought yeah I'm gonna try this I'm gonna see if I can even write and whether anybody's even interested Mm -hmm. so yeah I wish somebody had come to me but it didn't work that way I uh, wrote a few thousand words I googled agents who I thought might be looking for that kind of thing and many of whom I still haven't heard from so hi and yeah yeah so that I mean that's just the way it works I was lucky enough to find um, a fantastic agent who was just at the start of her career as well so really exciting and I didn't know this at the time, but when I had pitched my book to the agent, it was just a couple of weeks before London Book Fair, which is an event I had no knowledge of, but is a huge sort of landmark in the publishing calendar where lots of publishers will acquire new books and new authors. And so my agent was kind of like, well, I know you're working really busy and you're working shifts, but can you just write a few thousand more words and then I can pitch it at the book fair? So it was a few crazy weeks of kind of coming in at eight in the morning, getting two hours sleep, waking up, writing some more, editing that. A few thousand words later, the the book was pitched and I'm pleased to say it's now a thing so exciting because yeah. in my book that came out last year I talked uh, to multi-hyphenates who and I, I interviewed a few people actually who were there was like a children's author who was also a pediatrician and there was a doctor who was also like a filmmaker at the weekends it was like sort of this case study around being a multi-hyphenate and I feel like you fit into that category of you are a writer and an author and you I'm guessing you're invited to do lots of things through the book now how do you think that's going to change like your setup I I hope it's going to change things only for the best. I mean, at first, when the book came out in May, obviously there was a lot of kind of promotion and publicity around about that time, which I was really fortunate to have. And I basically made that work by using up all my annual leave for the year. So (laughs) I thought it was a bit cheeky to say to my manager, like, yeah, I've written this book. It's really exciting. Can I have loads of time off? So I just took all my holiday days and did that. Obviously, that's not really sustainable, although it's fine and it was fun at the time so going forward I'm not really sure I'm actually next week about to pitch my next book idea amazing I didn't I I wasn't gonna ask it's almost like when someone's just given birth and you're like you can have another one yeah I always find it's a bit of an inappropriate question but seeing as you brought it up that's very exciting it is exciting (laughs) but I also feel like it's like the dreaded second album like I really even superstitious to say anything about it in case nobody likes it and it just sinks without trace it doesn't happen but If it does happen, then yeah, I would love to spend even more time on writing and doing a bit more research and traveling and looking at midwifery in different contexts Mm. and um, possibly sort of changing my working hours to accommodate that. So I'm happy to be multi-hyphenate in that way and elongate the hyphen if and when I can. Mm. But we'll see. I think the next year is going to maybe change a lot in that way. Yeah, that must be so exciting. It must be so fun for your daughters as well to kind of see you doing all these different things. I hope so. I mean, I said to them at first, actually, my 16-year-old was the first person to read 
any part really? hard pushed Aww. because when I was submitting it to agents and stuff she loves reading medical memoirs as well and I was like I'm gonna just read it and tell me if it's any good I know you have to say it's good but really tell me if it's any good and she's like yeah mom it's okay and um <laughs> when the book uh, was about to be published I said you know girls because they're 12 and 16 which are really embarrassable ages I said girls you know what I do all day there's a lot of talk about vaginas in this book and it's very graphic and your friends and your friends mums might be reading it and I'm sorry if it's really embarrassing and gross and they actually were like no it's really exciting and mm-hmm. they've loved seeing all the places I've been to some of those places we've been to together they're currently walking around Edinburgh as we speak yeah. <laughs> while we do this so. so I hope and I like to think that they're proud of me and in fact they also are one of the main reasons why I wrote the book because I'm always saying to them you know girls you can do anything there are no limits on what you can achieve and you have voices that deserve to be heard say what you think speak up if you think something isn't right you will be listened to and I thought well how much of a hypocrite am I if I have something to say but I don't even try saying it because Mm -hmm. I kind of silence myself before I've even had the chance. So it has taken a conscious effort to put myself out there and try and raise my voice, but hopefully they can see that, yeah, oh, my mum did that once and it turned Mm -hmm. out okay. Mm, I love that. I've tried to just write about these parts and these things in my book. You know, it's just a normal part of this aspect of healthcare and it doesn't have to be taboo or weird or gross. So I think some readers are a bit sort of, ooh, taken aback by the first line or the first page but that's no, that is my day in the office it's really great that you start with actually like great I know what I'm in for and um it made me like you more because I was like oh she's just really kind of very conversational and this is a super hard question but I'm going to ask it anyway but with the burnout conversation what do you think we can do if anyone listening right now is thinking hmm I've got a friend who's probably going through a bit of burnout what do you suggest well yeah it's a great question it kind of depends in which context I think in an NHS context the thing that we need to do institutionally is pour more money into the right places mostly more staff and I think we focus a lot on sort of individual resilience and like oh how can I be better at coping with stress but actually we have to remember that the system is to blame the system yes. is broken yeah and it's not you it's, it's like the root me. of the problem yeah yes so I can practice my own you know hashtag self-care and have a sheet mask on a Sunday night and try and you know feel better for my shift the next day but it's actually not me that's broken it's the system so that's one big thing. However, without that happening, things that I think any of us can be mindful of in any career, whether you are that shiny girl with a laptop or whether you're a midwife, is just be aware of your own limitations and your own boundaries. And I wish that that's something that I had known sooner because before I started midwifery, I thought of myself as quite a calm person, quite chilled, quite good under pressure. And pretty soon after I began even my training, I had my first panic attack. I started to really understand what anxiety really means. And this was completely alien to me. And I think that if anything, what I've gotten better at over the years is knowing my limitations, knowing my boundaries, Mm. knowing when I'm starting to feel not great in myself and forcing myself if I can to just take a step back slow down it's not always easy when you're in sort of patient facing care and just 
consciously try and take even just an extra minute for myself in my day to reflect on how I'm feeling, why I'm feeling that way, if there's anything I can do to change it. And then definitely in my downtime to really consciously force myself to engage in not just like lip service self-care, like the sheet mask and the glass of wine, but like go for that run, go and get some fresh air, Mm -hmm. meet up with a friend, things that you don't always really feel like doing, but you know, you'll feel better having done them. Yeah. So it's a real combat. I mean, I'm not an expert, but from my point of view, it's a real combination of personal resilience and boundary setting and self-care and also being mindful of the fact that you're not to blame for all the stresses you feel it's the system round about you or it's the culture round about you and we have to try and meet in the middle somewhere yeah oh that's such fantastic advice to everyone I mean it's just like relatable to everyone and and absolutely there's there's no need to feel guilty on top of being burnt out so that reminder is crucial yeah and everybody's burnout is valid Oh, well, on that note, thank you so much. You're such an amazing guest. And I'll be listening back to this, writing down what you're saying, basically, because I need I need the reminder. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.